Hey, this is Adam Starling. I'm the senior pastor at Victory Family Church. Thank you so much for joining us today. I pray this message will inspire you, encourage you, and hopefully challenge you to become everything that God has called you to be. Enjoy the message. Victory Family Church, how we doing? Come on, it is so good to be with you today. If you're new here, welcome to the family. Just honor that you're here. My name is TJ, and I'm a part of our teaching team here at VFC. Just grateful to be hanging out in Newcastle today. Uh, can we give it up for your pastors, Pastor Matt and Julie, and just honor them and thank them for all that they do? You guys know this, man, but y'all are blessed to have them as your pastors. Uh, and then also I want to honor our senior pastors as well, Pastor Adam and Christy. Just thankful for the vision that they set for this house. Come on, can we give it up for our senior pastors? Amen. John chapter 19, verse 25 is where we're going to be at today. John chapter 19, verse 25. Today I get the opportunity to finish up a series that we've been in called The Inner Circle. We've been talking through this series over the last six weeks. We're, we've been really just looking at this idea that you are as close to Jesus as you want to be. Jesus is always calling you closer. And so we've looked at these six circles of relationship that surround Jesus. We started off talking about the crowd those who are more just kind of curious about what it might look like to follow Jesus. We move closer to the 5,000, those who follow Jesus to the place of feeding and healing. We looked at the 70, which is where you start to serve Jesus and his people. The 12, where you pick up your cross and follow Jesus. Last week, we talked about the three, where we follow Jesus to the place of glory and suffering. And then today, we're going to be talking about the one. Everyone say the one. John chapter 19, starting in verse 25. It says, near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. God, we thank you for your word today, and as we open up your word together, God, I pray that you would help us to just be open to receive whatever it is that you have for us. Challenge us, encourage us, draw us closer to you, make us more like you through your word today. It's in Jesus' name I pray, and everyone said, amen. So I want to start off by admitting, admitting something to you this morning, and it might bother some of you, uh, but I think we could still be friends. Uh, I, I am a bit of an over-exaggerator. And it's not necessarily that I like mean to be, I just get excited about things and then I over-exaggerate things from time to time. So like, for example, I love coffee. I like going to new coffee shops and trying new coffee. And, and there's been times where I've had a cup of coffee and I'm like, this is the greatest cup of coffee on planet earth. Now, is that true? Well, probably not, right? But like, I just get excited and I can't help myself. Or I also, I'm a big movie fan. I like movies. So I'll go watch a movie and I'll be like, this is the greatest movie ever made. And I'll tell everybody I know about it. And then they'll go watch that movie and come back to me and be like, bro, it was fine. Like, like you kind of overhyped it a little bit. I'm like, I'm sorry. I know I can't help it. I think those of us who have kids have probably been guilty of saying something along these lines at some point. My kids are driving me crazy. Now, are they actually driving you crazy? <laughs> some of you are like, you see this eye twitching? Yeah. <laughs> Wasn't happening before I had kids. So apparently you're not over-exaggerating when you say that. 
But I think sometimes when I say it, man, they're just kind of pushing the limits a little bit, right? So I think I think I just I understand what it is to over exaggerate, which is why I think I I struggle a little bit with our passage that we read this morning. Our passage refers to John as the disciple, the disciple whom Jesus loved. Do you know who wrote our passage, which is found in the book of John? It was John. John's out here calling himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. That seems a little bit fishy to me. Like it feels like we've got a little bit of an over-exaggerator on our hands here. But, but if we see, if we look in scripture, we actually see there's a lot of evidence that kind of backs up this claim or at the very least helps us see that John was able to experience a level of closeness with Jesus that maybe nobody else did. For example, John's gospel records more words of Jesus than any of the other gospels. Matthew, Mark, and Luke like to focus on what Jesus did. John focuses on what Jesus said, which is a sign of proximity. We even see at the Last Supper that John is reclining against Jesus at the Last Supper. He's all up in Jesus's personal bubble, which bothers me because I have a wide personal bubble. I don't love it when people get in my personal bubble. Close talkers, you guys are hard for me. You know what I mean? Like, I love you. But it's tough for me because I just, my, my personal bubble is reserved for the people who are closest to me. And so we see John all up in Jesus' personal bubble at the Last Supper. Also at the Last Supper, I think this is kind of funny. After Jesus declares that one of them will betray him, Peter leans over to John and asks John to ask Jesus who that betrayer would be. Because we all know if there's a favorite in the room, that's the one you want to have asked the questions. My brother would have me ask my parents growing up for things all the time because he knew I was the favorite. Like he knew that, that, that the answer was probably going to be better if I was the one asking. And then we even see in our passage that Jesus asks John to take care of his own mother, which may not seem like a huge deal to us, but in that culture, man, that was a very big deal. That was, that was a responsibility that should have been passed down to Jesus' brothers, but instead Jesus passes that responsibility on to John. There's a lot of evidence in scripture that actually shows that John was able to experience a level of relationship with Jesus that maybe nobody else did. But I think the greatest evidence that we have is found in the fact that John is the only one of the 12 disciples who followed Jesus to the cross. All these other jokers out here got no problem following Jesus when he's multiplying food. They got no problem following Jesus when he's healing the sick and when he's casting out demons. They got no problem following Jesus when he's calming storms and when his fame is spreading all around that region. But it is only John who follows Jesus to the cross. Now, I, I do think this is a bit of an aside, but I do think that there could be a lot said about the women who follow Jesus to the cross. That while all these men out here are running and scared for their lives, these bold, courageous women of God follow Jesus to the cross. And, and oftentimes in our society, and even sometimes in the church, we have diminished and devalued the importance of women in society and even in leadership. And, and I just, listen, I don't even want to think about where I would be without the women of God who have believed in me, who have prayed for me, who have invested in me, who taught me in Sunday school growing up. Come on, we would not be where we are without bold, courageous women of God. But, but I do think for the sake of our conversation, it's, it's important for us to note that of the 12 disciples, those who followed Jesus the closest, only John followed Jesus to the cross. Because at the one, you're all in no matter what. When you get to this place, it is where you're saying, Jesus, if following you leads me to victory or defeat, 
if it leads me to suffering or rejoicing, if it leads me to prosperity or poverty, if following you leads me to life or death, where do I sign up, Jesus? Because I'm all in with you. And the problem is, is that most of us, we like to be like the other disciples, not like John, where we would just want to follow Jesus when it's convenient for us. We want to follow Jesus to, man, we love, his te- we love his power, we love his miracles, we love his great teachings, but we want to avoid as much as we can following Jesus to the cross. But we've even seen this in the last couple of weeks, that we cannot follow Jesus without being willing to follow him to the cross. Philippians 3.10 said it this way, I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection. And we shout amen and we miss the next part. And participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Jesus said it like this, Matthew 16, verse 24, and we read this a couple weeks ago and we talked about the 12. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. Following Jesus this close is going to require that we are willing to follow Jesus even to the place of death. And what I mean by that is is not necessarily that you're going to be asked to give your life for Jesus. There are people all around the world who are actively giving their lives to be faithful to the call of God and to follow Jesus. But here in the Western world, we aren't going to likely be asked to do that. But you will be asked to die to yourself. You will be asked to die to your dreams, to your goals, to your desires. You will be asked to die to your will, to your plan, to your purpose, so that you might say to Jesus, Lord, wherever it is that you want me to go, whatever it is that you want me to do, whoever it is that you want me to become, I'm all in with you. There's a lot that we can learn from the life of John, but I think probably the most important thing is what it might look like for us to follow Jesus this closely. So, so John, he had a word that he liked to use a lot in his writing. And I think we all probably have words or phrases that we overuse. I say for sure a lot, like all the time. You want to go get lunch? For sure. You having a good day today? For sure. You want me to watch your kids for the weekend? For sure. Yes. Not going to turn that down. I, I was curious what the most used words were for the last however many years. And I came across this article on the Googles um, that was the, the most used slang term for every word since 1940. And my goodness, what a fun internet deep dive this became. <laughs> 1941 was yeehaw. 1976, tood, as in short for attitude. I didn't know y'all were shortening words in the 70s already. Like, ahead of your time, you guys were. 1985, Cool Beans, which you guys just weren't that cool in the 80s, were you? Like you thought you were, but just kidding, that's rude. 1997 was the word judgy. Quit being so judgy. That sounds like the 90s. Uh, 2018, and this is probably my favorite, is the word hangry, as in I'm so hungry, I'm angry, which is how many of you are that? Like half of your life. Mm -hmm. Yep, yep. For John, John had a favorite word that he used, and that word was abide. Everyone say abide. So in John chapter 15, verse 1, and I'm reading from the ESV this time, it says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches, in you, if you remain in me, and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do 
nothing. So this word, it's often translated as abide. Or we even see it sometimes translated as the word remain, but really it's a word that refer, refers to our dwelling place. It speaks of our relationship with God. And I think this is kind of cool, not just as a person that we follow, but as a God that we find our home in, that it is in him that we are at home. And abiding means not necessarily that we just experience God's presence from time to time. It's not just that we go to God's presence sometimes, like when we go to church or when we read our Bible or when we pray, but it speaks of remaining in him, of abiding in him in such a way that we are constantly aware of God's presence with us. And to get to the one, to follow Jesus this closely, it's where we get to this place where we are fully abiding in Jesus. Where's my homebodies at? You love being at home, homebodies, come on. I'm a homebody. Like, I love being at home. There's just something, there's just something special about home to me. I know it's not this way for everyone, but for me, home is where I find rest. Home is where I find peace. Home is, is it, it keeps me safe. Home protects me. And I just think it's cool that we can see our relationship with Jesus, again, not just as a God that we follow, but as a God that we really, we're at home with him. Now, in him, we find peace, and in, in him, we find rest, and in him, we find, we find strength, and in him, we find, we find protection from temptation and from the storms. At the one, what's cool is that we find out that we are in Christ just as much as Jesus is in us. And so John, he says, listen, abide in him, remain in him. He says, abide in Jesus, who is the, the vine, that through him, we are grafted into the family of God. And, and this was kind of cool. We came across this in some, some sermon research that, 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 that grafting is a technique that joins two plants together, that a wound is created in one of the plants and the other plant is kind of inserted into that wound so that each of the plant's tissues can grow together. And think about this in relation to our relationship with the Lord that Jesus was wounded for our transgressions. And through his wounds and through his death, we are able to be grafted into the family of God. We are able to abide in him, to grow in him, to become who he has created us to be, all by the grace and by the goodness of God. And when we get to the place where we are fully abiding in Jesus, it's where we realize that, that we don't have to go anywhere else to be satisfied anymore. We don't have to search for, for fulfillment or for satisfaction or in anybody else or anything else, but it is in Jesus that we find our home. It's in Jesus that we are at peace. It's in Jesus that we find all that we need. So we get to this place where we are fully abiding in Jesus. And then John, he calls himself again, the one Jesus loves in this passage. Scripture is pretty clear. You can't experience the love of God without also then being moved towards a love for God. First John 4, 9, this is John writing again. He says, we love because he first loved us. And love for God, it's not just a feeling. It's not just an idea where we're like, yeah, I love God. But, but love for God actually shows itself, reveals itself in the way that we live. John writing again in, in John 14, verse 21, whoever has my commands and keeps them, is the one who loves me. So in other words, love from God produces a love for God, which results in obedience to God. The more that we understand that God loves us, the more that our hearts will be moved towards a love for him. And love for him will always flesh itself out in the way that we live in obedience to him. And, and, and to be at the one, you gotta come to this place where you're fully obedient to Jesus. 
You're not just fully abiding in him, but you are fully obedient to him. I think, I think most of us as followers of Jesus, we understand that we are called to a level of obedience in our relationship with the Lord. That we are called to lay down our lives and to say, Lord, I'm going to live my life the way that you have called me to live. We're called to a life of obedience. But when you put the word fully in front of obedience, my goodness, that changes the game, doesn't it? I mean, think about it. How many of you wish your kids were fully obedient? What kind of utopia would that be, right? My kids got no problem being obedient. They're the most obedient kids in the world. When they want to be, when it's convenient for them, right? When being obedient doesn't keep them from something that they think is going to be fun or cool, but it's actually not good for them. Like, why can't I play in the street? This seems like a fun idea. Like, no, you can't do that, right? They got no problem being obedient when they want to. And honestly, I think it's the same way for us. We've got no problem forgiving those who have wronged us as long as it wasn't too bad, right? Like, we've got no problem praying for our enemies but if you voted for that other party, I'm going to let you know you're an idiot, right? You, we've got no problem saying yes to Jesus as long as saying yes to Jesus doesn't mess up our plans for the future. Full obedience to Jesus is not easy. It's not convenient. It, it often goes against your, your sinful or selfish desires, but my goodness, it is the life that God created us for and it is the life that God has called us to, a life of full obedience. I just think sometimes we, we talk about these grand ideas like, like God wants to change your life. And that is certainly true. God wants to change everything about your life. But I just wonder if we can start here. Has your relationship with God even changed your schedule? Has it changed the way that you interact with the people around you? Has it changed the way that you handle your finances? Has it changed the way that you communicate with your family? I, I just think sometimes we we might be guilty of singing these worship songs that are like, God, take all that I am, and yet we haven't even given him our time. God, God, I surrender all to you, and yet we're not living generously. God, I give everything that I am to you, and yet we're still living in the same unhealthy habits that we've been living in for years. Follow Jesus as closely. We gotta come to this place where we're, we're willing to be obedient to the Lord even when it costs us something. Even when it's, it's difficult to do so. Even when it goes against our desires or goes against our plans, we're, we're, it's at this place where we say, God, I am, I am surrendered fully to you. And, and don't hear me wrong. This is not a call to perfection. Ain't nobody in here perfect. All right, we're going to make mistakes. I, I'm not calling you to perfection, but I am calling you to a direction, to following Jesus, to going in the direction that he has called you to go. And I just think it's good practice for us to occasionally really evaluate our relationship with the Lord. And I'm not asking you to like question your salvation. I don't want you to do that. Understand you are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, right? There's nothing that you can do to earn your salvation. I don't want you to question your salvation, but I do want you to really consider and to ask yourself, am, is the way that I'm living right now truly a life that is, that is fully surrendered to obedience to the Lord? Am I surrendered to God? Am I, am I truly following Jesus or am I just asking Jesus to follow me? Right? Am I really surrendered to his will or am I just asking God to bless my will? If we're gonna follow Jesus this close, we've got, to, we've got to follow him to this place of obedience, full obedience to him, even if it means following him to the cross. And that's where John followed Jesus to, to the cross. 
He was there and he watched as Jesus was nailed to that tree. He, he was there as Jesus struggled to breathe. He was there when, when the ground shook and the sky went black and Jesus breathed his final breath. And I just wonder if you can imagine for, for a second the, the disappointment that John was probably feeling in that moment. The confusion that he probably was experiencing, the frustration that he thought Jesus was the Messiah. He thought that Jesus was going to be the one who was going to set Israel free from the tyranny of Rome and establish God's kingdom on earth. He thought that Jesus was the one. And now Jesus is dead. John followed Jesus closer than anyone else. He followed him to the point of his death. And and now what is he supposed to do? John chapter 20, verse 1. Early on the first day of the week. Come on, are you thankful for Sunday today? But while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. I love this. This is great to me. I love the way that John writes. He said, so Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. You think John was competitive a little bit? He bent over and looked at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him, probably 20 or 30 minutes later, and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside, and I love this, it says he saw and believed. So John, he's there at the death of Jesus, and here we see him experiencing the resurrection. And, and I think it's cool that, that this passage, it points out that while Peter saw the tomb, John saw and believed. There was something that clicked in him that morning. Something that was awakened in him, something that came alive in him. That John saw life like never before that day at the tomb, because at the one you are, you are fully alive in Jesus, fully alive in him. The, the one is where you really begin to understand and really believe that you are not just saved. You're not just forgiven. That God ju- does not just give you a ticket to heaven that you get to cash in when you die. But Jesus has invited you into to a life that, that he that He talks about in John 10, 10. He says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. It's a full life that Jesus invites us into. And and that doesn't mean that life is always easy and life always goes your way and life is always up and to the right, right? Like we understand, we talked about it last week. Sometimes following Jesus takes us to the place of suffering. But what this means is that even if you suffer, even if you go through difficult times, even if you find yourself in the valley of the shadow of death, listen to me, you can rejoice because Jesus has conquered death and he has offered you life. So listen, yeah, you can walk in joy today, even in the midst of difficult circumstances. Yes, you can walk in freedom that Jesus has purchased for you. You can walk in victory over temptation and over sin. You can experience peace. Come on, you can experience peace even when the world around you is full of worry and fear and anxiety. You can rejoice because Jesus doesn't want to just resurrect you when you die. He wants to resurrect you today. 
He wants to give you full life in him today. I knew an old preacher who used to say, God is getting ready to give you a second wind from the third heaven. And I have no idea what that means. (laughs) But my goodness, when he preached it, I felt it, right? Like, listen, God wants to breathe life into you again. God wants to help you dream again, help you believe again, help you hope again and expect again. Jesus wants to breathe life into you like you've never experienced before. And it's as you follow Jesus this closely that you really begin to believe that you can experience the full life that God has for you. Here's my fear though. My fear is that that many people in this room will never experience the full life that Jesus invites you into because you don't feel like you're worthy of that life. You don't feel like you're deserving of it. You're too broken. Right? You've, you've made too many mistakes. You've messed up too many times. You have shattered your life into pieces. And maybe you came to a place where you finally believed, okay, yeah, Jesus will forgive me of my sin. Yeah, Jesus can, can offer me salvation where I can go to heaven when I die. But, but to experience full life in him, gosh, there's just no way. That's for other people. That ain't for me. Like I've made too many mistakes in my life. I'm too broken to experience that. I came across this story in a book that I was reading called Inspired Imperfection by Greg Boyd. And and in that book, he talks about this story of a woman who accidentally broke a valuable family vase. So because it was a a family heirloom, she, she sought to have it restored. And in her research, she came across this woman who specialized in a Japanese practice of restoring broken pottery. And in this practice, they actually, instead of trying to cover up the scars or the brokenness or the shattered pieces, they actually highlight the brokenness. They highlight the scars with gold. Because whereas us in the Western world, we try to kind of seek to have something restored as close to its original design as possible. They actually believed that, that by highlighting the evidence of brokenness, it, it actually improved on the original design. And so that's what this woman did. She took her broken vase, these shattered pieces, gave it to this woman who then took those pieces and put together a piece of art so beautiful and maybe even more unique than before. And here's the reason that I tell that story. Because John calls himself the one Jesus loves. Why does John call himself that? I'm convinced that it's it's because when you follow Jesus this closely you actually begin to believe this truth, that you are loved by God. And it doesn't matter how broken you used to be. It doesn't matter how many pieces you feel like you've shattered your life into. It does not matter how messed up you feel like you are. Listen, you are loved by God. You are his masterpiece. And he can actually take your brokenness and he can highlight it and he can use it for the good of others, for your good and for his glory. And so I I don't know where you're at today. I don't know if maybe you are still in the crowd, not real sure about following Jesus. Maybe you're in the 5,000, just following Jesus for what he can do for you. I don't know if maybe you're in the 70, you've begun to serve the Lord and serve his people. Maybe you're at the 12 or you begin to really make some sacrifices in following Jesus. Or you're at the three where you have experienced the glory of God's presence and even his suffering. I don't know where you're at today. I don't know if maybe you're at the one where you're just experiencing, man, a life with God that is unlike anything you've ever experienced before. But here's what I want you to understand today. Wherever you are, you are loved by God. And my prayer is, is that we wouldn't take this series 
and get to a place of frustration because we feel like we're not moving closer to Jesus. Or, or maybe you felt like at one point you were moving closer, but now you feel like you've moved back out of some of these circles. I want you to understand, like, these aren't always like a linear pro- progression. Sometimes it's cyclical. Sometimes, like, our life with Jesus is kind of all over the place. It's up and down. But I want you to understand that Jesus loves you, and he's always calling you closer. He's always calling you closer. And so let's let his love draw us closer. Not our good deeds, not our righteous behavior, not trying to read our Bible and pray because we think if we don't do that, God's gonna strike us down. But that we do these things, we'd establish these rhythms in our life because we understand that we're loved by God and we just wanna have more time with him. We wanna know him more. We wanna grow in him. We wanna draw closer to him. He's always calling us closer. But really, you're as, you're as close to Jesus as you wanna be. I, I wanna encourage you with this. I heard this one time and it was so helpful for me that following Jesus is often two steps forward, one step back. And that was encouraging to me because that means I can give myself grace when I take those steps back. But it it also means I'm making progress. Two steps forward, one step back. That's progress, y'all. And it may not look like you want it to be. It may not always be perfect. It may not, life may not always be up and to the right. But listen to me, Jesus loves you. He is always calling you closer. Father, we love you. And God, we understand that we only love you because you first loved us, my goodness. When we were dead in our sin, God, at our worst, it's then that you loved us. Jesus, it's then that you died for us, that while we were yet in our sin, you died for us. We're grateful for that fact today. Help us to just be moved by your love today. That maybe this week we've made some mistakes, we've said some things that we shouldn't have said, we've lashed out in anger towards people that we care about. We know we shouldn't have done that. Lord, I pray that you would just give us grace today. Help us to know that you love us today. God, maybe we've had the greatest week ever. Now that we spent more time with you than we have, God, in this last year. God, we spent so much time with you this week, prayed, read our Bible. We've got like seven day streak on the Bible plan. God, help us to understand your love for us is not based on any of those things. God, you love us every season and every moment. Let us be moved by your love today. With every head bowed and every eye closed, maybe you're not following Jesus. Really what that means is that you have not responded to God's love because it doesn't matter if you're following him or not. He loves you. He sent his son Jesus to die on that cross for you, to offer you life through him. And if you haven't responded to that love, you haven't asked Jesus to forgive you of your sin, to be the Lord of your life, but today you want to, I'd love the opportunity to pray with you. Would you lift your hand in the air right where you're at? I'm going to give your life to Jesus today. Amen. Can we pray this prayer together as a family? Say, Jesus, I love you. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sin. Today I trust you. I give you my life. I surrender all that I am. I respond to your love today. And I choose you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. If you enjoyed today's message, I want to encourage you to like it or share it on social media and tag at VFC underscore Newcastle. If you haven't already, download the Victory Family Church app to stay connected with everything that's happening throughout the week. 
Thanks again for listening. Have an awesome week.